I'm aware of that. Past me is rolling her eyes so hard right now. I'm usually a pretty rational person, practical to a fault, some would say. But I just... I have to do something. I haven't really slept in... God, it must be months at this point. The days all just kind of blur together now. They have since that day. It's like time is different on the other side of it. I know that's how a lot of people describe grief, but this is different. The way things ended, God, it was just so awful. And nobody saw it coming. I check the clock on the wall in the basement. 8.45. I imagine I'm uh, pretty exhausting to others at this point. But since I can't talk to him, I just try to talk to everyone. Some of them listen. Others can't. It's upsetting. I understand that. Sometimes people get confused or start to cry. Hearing it from me will never stop being shocking. And that's okay. I set out the Ouija board yesterday in the basement. I wanted somewhere quiet where we would definitely be alone. It's weird to sit around and talk to yourself. <laughs> I put it there in advance so he would know I wanted to talk to him. I don't know how these things work, and I really wanted him to be prepared, I guess. I don't know if he hears me, and he's not always around. Who knows where he goes now? It could be anywhere, but I'm always here. At first I thought I would contact a medium, but then I reconsidered. This is very personal information, and I don't want to burden others with it. But more than that, I want him to come to terms with this on his own. He knows what he did, and I want him to admit it. Having a third party make suggestions or prompt a ridiculous performance would water it down, rendering the whole thing meaningless. So, I decided to go old school. Last night before I went to bed, not that I sleep, but I do go to bed, I left a note on the little chalkboard we hung on the basement door back when we were working opposite schedules. It was supposed to be for sweet little messages to keep us connected. But this one simply said, 9 p.m. I didn't know what else to say or, or even how to talk to him. But I thought that was enough for him to understand. 8.59. Right on time. I know I'm not supposed to be doing this alone. 
and that I should be scared right now, I guess. But this is my husband, and we've already been through the worst thing imaginable, so what the hell? Here goes. Hello, Harold. Can you hear me? I'm not sure I'll be able to hear you, so I brought this. I gesture toward the board, hoping he can at least see me, maybe? I know you're there. Come out of the shadows. <sighs> you look like shit. So pale. Close your mouth. What is it you always told me? It looked like I was, uh, catching flies. Yes. That's pretty ironic now, isn't it? No response. Okay, let's try the board. I put two fingers of each hand on the planchette and slide it to spell H-E-L-L-O. Nothing. Okay, I'll try again. This time, a little slower. H-A-R-O-L-D. You always like the sound of your own name. Okay, you definitely saw that. He sits on the other side of the board across from me, cross-legged on the floor, and starts to spell. H-E-L-L-O-W-H-O-I-S-T-H-I-S. Oh, that's rich. You know damn well who this is. I slide the planchette in response. J. E-N-N-I-E. Oh, you didn't like that. Harold's face goes from pale to gray. He moves the planchette slowly with trembling hands. I am S-O-R-R-Y. Oh, you're sorry. But I can't accept that. I slide the planchette quickly to no. He looks as though he's starting to cry. I A am, he spells. Oh, we're getting faster now. Then he goes on. I made a mistake. A mistake? A mistake is eating too many M&Ms or taking the wrong exit. This wasn't a mistake. Let's get down to brass tacks. I spell confidently and with purpose now. C-O-N-F-E-S-S. He takes a breath and slides it slowly to no. Fine. Have it your way. I move the planchette faster and faster. L-E-T-M-E. O-U-T. Nothing to say? I'll repeat. L-E-T-M-E-O-U-T. Let. Me. Out. He winces. I think you can hear me. Let me out! He pulls his fingers away, his face frozen in horror. You can! You can hear me! I see you, Harold. I see you all the time. You think nobody knows what you did. But I know. I see you. Glancing down the basement stairs every once in a while. Wincing as you remember the sound of a body hitting the concrete floor. 
missing you twitch. The muscle memory of the kitchen knife still alive in the tips of your fingers. I see you looking at the kitchen floor hard, making sure the grout was bleached in every spot, no doubt. I see you silently praying that what you did hasn't written itself on the walls. But it didn't have to, because I'm here, and I can say it out loud if I want to. You always told me I didn't listen, but I listened to every word you said, and where did it get me? I think we both know the answer to that. Well, now you're going to listen. Take me out of this basement, Harold. You know I don't belong here. At first, everything was quiet. I woke up somewhere dark and dirty. No one called. No one cried. No one cared. And eventually, I figured it out. No one knew. Where do they think I am, Harold? It doesn't matter, because you're going to tell them the truth. He starts to stumble backwards towards the stairs that head to the door. Not so fast, I say, moving towards him, and he winces again. Can you? Can you see me, Harold? Try hard. Over here. Away from the light in the corner. That's not a shadow, is it? I'm right next to the hole in the wall that you left by accident. It's the size of a dime, and if you look through it, you can see a chestnut-colored ringlet matted in blood. That's where you left me, isn't it, Harold? Surrounded by baking soda and battery-operated periodic-release air fresheners. Every time they hissed a puff of mountain spring into the ether, you had to wonder if the noise was it or me. Didn't you, Harold? You thought you were so clever, plastering right over the old crawl space door. But those are just body parts. You can't hide all of me. Stop covering your eyes and look at me, you coward. Take me out of this basement, Harold. Tell the world what you did. Tell my children I didn't just run away. Tell them, Harold. Because if you don't, the only thing you'll see from sunrise to sunset, day in and day out, from this point forward will be my face. The only thing you'll hear will be my voice. And you won't like what I have to say. You will have no rest, no sanity, no sleep, not a moment's peace. You will live in a never-ending echo chamber of my screaming. I will beat on the doors and the walls and rattle the floors. I will find that kitchen knife, you know the one, and run it down an inch of your skin at a time, peeling you like a goddamn onion until you let out the truth. You know, in situations of extreme shock and stress, a man your age can suffer a heart attack. It's a tightness in your chest, and then it moves into pain in your arm. Do you feel it? Not yet? You don't look so good right now. I'd hate to think of what might happen if things got worse, more stressful. Have you fallen to your knees to beg me for forgiveness? Or are you just unable to get up? Let me come to you then. I'm right over your face now. Look up. 
Look up. There we go. There's that chest pain. You know what you have to do. And you better do it soon. What's the matter, Harold? You look like you've seen a ghost. Holly, I... Nope. Absolutely not. What the fuck was that? Tell the people who you are. (laughs) You gotta tell them. I'm Wesley. And we we would be be dead. dead. As dead as Harold. one would get you as much as it did. <laughs> it was so creepy. Mm. It's oh that gosh, that was so creepy. It was the song. The song Well it creepy. is it's fun that you um mentioned that because that song is of course the Hearst song. It's a really old folk song thought to have been written by British soldiers. Okay. Um it has a lot more verses and they're really gross. Mm-hmm. Um it is of course printed in the scary stories to tell in the dark book. So that's where it came from. That's why I used it. And a, a fun Easter egg is that in the movie, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, the music box plays that tune. Yeah, which that's if you're, yeah. what I was imagining. Yeah, and if you're a fan and you heard that, you were like, oh, it was so exciting. Um, I remember that because that is music that um, the notes are in the book. You can play it. And so generations of kids have plunked it out on living room pianos, <laughs> myself included. On like a recorder? <laughs> or a rec- Yeah, sure. Whatever you got, man. Hey, Leslie. Hey, Holly. Hey, Fiends. Well, I loved writing that opening, despite how much it scared Leslie. Mm -mm. But having to write my own scary story to tell in the dark was basically a childhood dream come true. I named the characters Harold and Jenny because they are the leading players in two of my all-time favorite stories. Um, And I bet some of you guys got that. I hope you did. And we're talking about both of them today, so don't worry, I won't leave anyone hanging. I am so pumped about this week's episode because I got to research the stories that started my obsession with all things scary. But reliving one's childhood nights spent peering over the covers until the sun came up doesn't revive your childhood complexion. It sure does not. It should though, right? I guess. You're like putting yourself in that mind space. Yeah. It should help, but it, it doesn't. So just add that. To- <laughs> I'm like, no. <laughs> no, it didn't. So just add that to the laundry list of failed fountains of youth I have tried. Which leaves me still wrinkled and now empty-handed. But beautiful. You beautiful, wrinkly, (laughs) empty-handed mess. Nerd. There you go. Both. Both (laughs) are true. Um, And and it's not a great combination. (laughs) Sounds good to me. I mean, for maybe a specific portion of the population it is. I don't know. You know, you're you're unique. Yeah. That's true. Yep. So instead of 
trying to relive my childhood memories. I think I'll try a home remedy that seems to have stood the test of time. Mm. I'll use just a little sprinkle of validation. Hill worth dying on. And lucky for us, our beans can provide that. They can? They can. Tell me how. But how, you're surely asking yourself by now. <laughs> well, I'll tell you. Simply head on over to Spotify or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and or a friendly review. It really is the only way to move this podcast forward. And we really, really want to move forward. I feel like there's treats somewhere forward. And I, I want to get so. them. Yeah, we're getting towards Halloween and Thanksgiving and Christmas and yeah. Maybone. Oh, yeah. Maybone. <laughs> Maybone. <laughs> Maybone. <laughs> All right. Listen, I know there are treats up ahead. Treats like more content, which is what we all want, but can't have just yet, unfortunately, because in order to get it, I'm going to have to hire some more team members. Mm -hmm. But if you really want more, we would be dead in your life right now. You can contribute to a Hire the Team fund by supporting us over on Patreon. I let you do it this Ooh, week. Oh, wow. I got louder because I was like, she's not there with me. <laughs> I have to carry it. That's okay. You I won't, thought it would be fun. You won't fun. do that any no, more times no, in this episode, No, that was just right? one for you. Okay, you I'll never like, do it again. <laughs> you'll be like, all right, Leslie, this is your portion of the podcast. I'll be like, no. I didn't write it. <laughs> no, and next week I'll say, Patreon. This week I'll let you do it. Thank you. There for just a few dollars a month, you will get access to our extra mini-sodes, our entire catalog of 30-minute horror movies, our weekly after-show host mortem, which is available in both video and audio format. Maybe you want to see faces. Maybe you don't. Yeah. Sometimes faces are creepy. It's all right. It's like sometimes you feel like a nut and sometimes you don't. Exactly. Not that our faces are nuts. No. No, they're not. Well... No. You'll also get special <laughs> gifts in the mail from us, the opportunity to enter some giveaways, an on-air toast dedicated just to you, and more. And if all of that is too much for you, you can simply follow us on social media. We are at WouldBeDeadPod everywhere and anywhere. You can like our content, share our content, like and share our content, throw us a comment, participate in a conversation, post about your favorite episode, tell us when you're listening, tell a friend, tell a neighbor, tell the creepy scarecrow you made and now don't entirely trust. What's their name? I mean, I just want to say Harold. Well, because it is Harold, but you have to give him a friend. I have to give him a friend? Okay. Then how about... Like, this is your scarecrow in your yard. You made him or her or them. Candace. <laughs> She's a practical scarecrow, I feel. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Candace. Candace is a... She's got some... I, I don't know. Probably wearing, like, your mom's old blazer. Ooh, yeah. Mm -hmm. like she's, 80, like, a she's like an 80s yeah, business she woman. Yep. Scarecrow. I love her. I feel like she would have nothing against us and be on our team. Yeah. So then your friends and Candace, the business scarecrow, can become fiends and we can all hang out together. She'll have like extra straw in her like shoulders. Of course, to make them nice and big and padded. Yeah, absolutely. Because she means business. She sure does. Ain't no scare. Ain't no crows. Landing on her shoulders. Or there's more crows landing on her very broad shoulders. Because she wants it. Yeah. Not because anyone else told her. Of course. And when she walks from, like, the train station to her job, she puts on sneakers and has her heels in her purse. She's a scarecrow, so that's fucking terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> Be like, Candace, you don't need to work anymore, girl. <laughs> Back to your pole. Ew. <laughs> oh, no. I stand by it. Anyway. <laughs> Lastly, keep an eye out for upcoming information on this year's live show and Halloween party at Cape May Brewing Company. 
I believe that's on the 30th. Yes. Awesome. Sunday. Yes, Sunday the 30th. So it'll be a very fun uh, event that we had a great time with last year. And a lot of you guys um, were really sad you couldn't come. So this is giving you uh, the chance to make that up. Come spend the weekend in Cape May. And end it with us. And end it with us. Or if you come from way far out of town, we will hang out with you before then, probably. Yeah, for sure. Like, if you're a listener from Finland and you come to this show, we will hang out with you. Yeah, we will make time. A hundred percent. Okay, we'll keep your eyes out for that. We'll have the ad up probably sometime in the next week. Um, and make sure that you come. All right, I think that's all I have for this week. Leslie, do you have anything else to add before we begin? What if our Finnish theme Ooh. is an elf? I'd love Because that. that's where Santa lives. I would love that. I'm just going to imagine that. Yeah. Santa might be listening to this. I bet Mrs. Claus is so into our Oh, for podcast. sure. 100%. She knows so much about murder. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you imagine if that's what he's listening to on his sleigh? I would love that. We sleigh. Yeah. All day. All day. All right. Okay. All right, then. On with the show. For many of us, our love of all things terrifying came from a glowing supernatural portal known as the Forbidden Shelf at the Scholastic Book Fair. Yes. You know the shelf, I mean. I sure do. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. I didn't even know horror for kids existed until I discovered them at the book fair. And every time I bought one, I felt like I was getting away with something. Mm. Like, I probably shouldn't have it, but I was alone with money, and so I bought it. Which is, of course, a big part of the thrill. I would take my purchase home and read it under the covers at night after everyone else went to bed with my flashlight in hand. You're so brave. Well, I mean, I was up all night after that, terrified of whatever I read, but I still came back for more every time. I was just there reading my American Girl doll stories. <laughs> I was like, why is this scarecrow eating people? And you were like, Kirsten's having a great day. She sure is. <laughs> I hope she gets along with her new neighbor. Oh, boy, look at them braids. Anyway, for many, the scary story experience began with R.L. Stein's Goosebumps series, which we did cover. And the Goosebumps books are great, and our investigation into them was so fun. But they are just a little bit beyond my time. I'm a little kind of, Goosebumps are a little younger than I am. Mm. Uh, and if you haven't listened to our Goosebumps based uh, on a fictional story, I believe is how we put it, you should do that. It's a good time. Super fun episode. Uh, anyway, my bedtime scares came from what I consider to be the holy trinity of terrifying tales. The Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark anthology series by Alvin Schwartz. I could hug Alvin Schwartz for making me the ghoul I am today. (laughs) That is, if I didn't deeply want to believe that he was a ghost furiously writing in a magic journal, like the movie implies, but I digress. So spooky. I know. Wouldn't it be great if they were like, the person who wrote this book died 200 years ago. They should have. It would be great. Ew. Yeah, they didn't, though. Anyway, (laughs) the books feature collections of short stories based on American folklore, classic ghost stories, urban legends, and are peppered with short songs and punny riddles. They all use simple language, timeless atmosphere, and vivid imagery, which gives younger minds the opportunity to spin right off the rails when bedtime rolls around. (laughs) There are a couple things that really set the Scary Stories book um, set apart from the rest, in my opinion. The first is that they are meant to be read aloud. You're supposed to read them out loud to your friends. That's part of it. These stories are for storytellers and almost beg for you to add your own embellishment. 
Many feature dramatic instructions to trail off mid-sentence and then jump scare your audience. Oh, yeah, they have like cool. parentheses, like stop saying here and then pick somebody and say loudly that. Oh. Yeah, so they're, they're, they have delivery included, which is so great. And that also might explain my flair for the dramatic around the campfire. It just might. Yeah. Scary stories that were meant to be performed were my dream. So in a sense, I guess I grew up to be exactly what I was supposed to. Yeah. What if you are a 200-year-old ghost? That's not a what if, Leslie. Oh, my goodness. This is why we need all the validation. Yeah. Because Holly's on that hill already dead. I'm a ghost on a hill. But the drama and the jump scares aren't the only thing that makes these books incredibly special. The second thing that sets them apart are the illustrations. Mm. Have you seen them? I don't really think I remember these because I think I was too scared. My brother had them, though. Okay, so you should Google scary stories to tell in the dark illustrations while I say this part. All three books feature some of the most terrifying artwork you will ever lay your eyes on. As an adult who deals in the scariest pictures imaginable on a weekly basis, because if you don't think the stories I read come with photos, you're wrong, I still find these images terrifying. Yes, I remember these. These mm -hmm. um, I kept hidden in my bookshelf because I didn't want to see them. They're very scary. Even though they are black and white illustrations, artist Stephen Gamel manages to capture the feeling of someone standing behind you in a dark parking lot. Yeah. The drawings are surreal and erratic, featuring blots and splatters of ink, faces with disproportionate features, limbs of exaggerated length, and mad scratching lines that make them feel as though they fell out of the diary of a madman. The illustrations are so scary that they help the books land on the American Library Association's list of most challenged books in both the 90s and the 2000s, which means they are the books that received the most complaints. Complaints about the books are usually due to their inclusion of violence and disturbing subject matter, Complainers say that they are, quote, unsuitable for young children, to which I say, why did you let your young child read them? Unsupervised first graders can't reach the forbidden shelf at the book fair. That's why it's the forbidden shelf. They're high up and teachers don't let you in that part until you're older. That's true. Yeah. So you let them read it. Or they had an older sibling like I did and they read it too young. Okay. But then your mom wouldn't be like, well, I'm going to complain about this book. No, she'd be like, oh, Leslie, get over it. <laughs> Exactly. I don't have time for this. <laughs> More people should be like your mom. <laughs> Critics have called the stories, which many, uh, many of which feature macabre topics like murder, disfigurement, and cannibalism, quote, sick, repulsive, and really disgusting, not appropriate for children. And to that I say, yeah, we know. That's what makes them good. Mm -hmm. They're not pleasant stories to tell in the well-lit living room. Except nope. ours. Except ours, yes. <laughs> Nobody's confused about what they're getting getting into with these books. They're not like, oh, what a shock. And they're not being taught in a classroom. But still, when you're talking about being banned, the connotations in the world of horror are like way better than, say, the world of history. And a very funny side note is that my daughter just got, well, I have these books. Obviously, I have these books, but they are not um, on a shelf readily available right now. So she got the giant fat version that's all three in one book mm -hmm. out from her school library and her and one of her friends have been reading them out loud to each other that's so cute i know and i remember doing that exact same thing at sleepovers when i was little so yeah. it was just like such a, a cool little cool little thing to witness 
I think that I did do this as sleepovers as well. I just think I might have pushed off this memory. <laughs> but I do remember sitting in my room looking through these and then yeah. reading the really short ones, mm-hmm. like the really short, short stories. Yeah, some too. of them are less than a page long. And being like, oh my God, this is so scary. Yeah. To celebrate the book's 30th anniversary in 2011 and temper some of the controversy with the illustrations, these scary pictures, HarperCollins re-released the books with new illustrations from Brett Helquist, who is best known for illustrating the Lemony Snicket series of unfortunate events books. The new illustrations were more kid-friendly and not as disturbing, which means, of course, that everybody hated them. Mm-hmm. A lot. Creepy 30-somethings the world over threatened to riot. <laughs> We were like, no, you will all be scared. (laughs) Thankfully, in 2017, the books were reissued with the original artwork. And uh, my daughter, before she got this one out, has mine. So they had the artwork in it. To date, The Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, More Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, which is the second book, and Scary Stories 3, More Tales to Chill Your Bones, have sold over 7 million copies. You can still get them in print or digital copies now. They are also in audiobook format, read by the heat miser himself, George S. Irving. I know. So the voice that's heat miser reads these books, which I want to hear now. So I'm excited. We also have the first in what I hope will be three movies based on the trilogy, which was released in 2019. It was produced by Guillermo del Toro, so you know it's good. And it is really super fun. I had a really great time um, with that movie. Like anyone else who loved the books, the first thing I said when I saw the movie was happening was, it better look right. <laughs> it looks right. It does. The illustrations are important, but don't worry, they they did a very good job. Mm-hmm. Sadly, though, author Alvin Schwartz did not live to see, see the film adaptation of his beloved classics. He died of lymphoma in Princeton, New Jersey on March 14, 1992, just six weeks before his 65th birthday. And if there is any justice in the world, Alvin Schwartz is currently still haunting teenagers to his heart's content, hopefully still here in New Jersey, where we love our ghosts deeply. We're honored to have you, Mr. Schwartz. Very. We'll remember him at the end. Absolutely. So what are we talking about today, then? I don't know. Well, seeing this is kind of part of our Based on a Fictional Story series, we're taking a few of these legendary scary stories and pulling on the possible threads of truth. Did a possessed scarecrow really skin people in a field? Can a green ribbon really hold on a human head for decades? And what about the viper? Did he really vash and vipe the windows? Let's find out. Story one, the green ribbon. Even if you haven't read the scary stories to tell in the dark books or its companion piece in a dark, dark room, which is actually where this story comes from, but it's so famous that I figured we had to do it. You will probably recall the story of Jenny, the girl with the green ribbon around her neck. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. Okay. I feel like everybody does. In my schoolyard, where this one was retold on an almost daily basis, the ribbon was red. And in still other versions, probably pulled in other schoolyards, it's black. The color of the ribbon does hold some historical significance, but before we get there, I'll tell you that the color doesn't matter to kids nearly as much as why it's there. So let's recount Jenny's story, shall we? Jenny is a lovely young girl, shown in the illustrations to have long, straight black hair, wearing a simple white dress with a pink collar. Above the collar is a wide green ribbon wrapped snugly around her neck. Jenny always wears this green ribbon, no matter the time and no matter the occasion. And everyone wonders why, but Jenny simply refuses to answer and moves on. Rude. Mind your business. (laughs) As the years go by, Jenny meets and falls in love with a boy named Albert. 
Albert, too, wonders why it is that she never removes that green ribbon. When Albert asks Jenny, Jenny always replies simply that she will tell him when the time is right. Jenny and Albert go on to get married and live a long and happy life together. Albert asks her many times about the ribbon, but she never answers. Until, having reached old age, Jenny is on her deathbed with her beloved Albert by her side. She asks him if he'd finally like to know why she wears this green ribbon around her neck. And when he answers yes, she tells him to untie it. Albert pulls the tail of the ribbon, undoing its tie, and Jenny's head falls off. Ooh. Mm-hmm. The illustrations show the head basically hitting the floor like a wayward cantaloupe. <laughs> what an exit, right? Yeah. 1,000 points, Jenny, for drama. While there is clearly no truth to someone holding their head on with a choker, I almost tried to find the science about how strong a choker would have to be to do that, but it's too much math and I couldn't. <laughs> this story contains more old-timey cautionary tales than I ever realized. For starters, the story is old. Like, old, old. Most likely older than we know, even. But what we do know is that Alexander Dumas wrote a version of, his, of this story in 1854, and that Washington Irving covered this plotline in his 1824 essay, The Adventure of the German Student. All right. Mm -hmm. But in those versions, the tale takes place in the days of the French Revolution. And the ribbon is an elaborate choker made of velvet ribbon and diamonds. Beautiful. I want that one. I know. Me too. That one is so much prettier and easier to explain. Yeah. Why are you wearing this beautiful necklace? Um, Shut your fucking mouth. It's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. Like, do you know how much I paid for this? I'm wearing it every, every day. day. Yeah. Someone might steal my diamonds. It's the French Revolution. They're stealing my diamonds. They're stealing me. Exactly. So Washington Irving's version, quote, follows a young German man named Gottfried Wolfgang. Although it's German, so it's probably Wolfgang. Mm -hmm. One stormy night on his way home to his apartment in Paris, Gottfried Wolfgang encounters a woman who claims to be without friends, family, or a home. She is described as, quote, wearing a broad black band round her neck clasped by diamonds. Gottfried Wolfgang takes her back to his apartment where they declare their devotion for one another, which is Washington Irving terminology for they got busy. The next morning, Gottfried runs an errand, leaving the woman alone and returns to find her still in his bed, dead. Gottfried calls the damn cops, good on him, and when the officers arrive, one of them recognizes the woman as having been executed by guillotine the previous day. The officer then undoes the collar around her neck, causing her head to roll onto the floor. At the end of the story, the incident is revealed to have been relayed by Wolfgang, who now resides in a madhouse in Paris. Wow. I know. Not only is this version of the story so good, I want that one as a movie. Yes. That one is so good. But it also gives us some very valuable clues about its original purpose. The story most certainly originates from the time of the French Revolution, when the guillotine was used to execute over 17,000 people. Because of this, red ribbon chokers enjoyed a brief run of popularity following the French Revolution. Ladies would wear them as a symbol of solidarity to those who had lost their heads. And if you were standing in solidarity with someone who had lost their head, there's a good chance that they were a member of the aristocracy or at the very least the middle class. So we have a bunch of fancy ladies wearing ribbons to mimic decapitation at parties. Oh. Okay. Just one teensy problem. Chokers are historically not the uniform for these kinds of fancy ladies. Sure, they wore them from time to time, but fashion has always had sort of a trickle-down effect. 
And before long, the choker became the covert call sign of a sex worker. Mm -hmm. Red light, red choker, it's all the same. While there were no color parameters for sex workers and their chokers, I imagine the red ones had their day in the sun simply because fashion's gonna fashion. Literary scholars, the kind who do the kind of work we're all more interested in than, you know, say, theories on war and peace, Mm -hmm. suspect that the tale of the Green Ribbon was a cautionary tale to discourage men from marrying sex workers both present and reformed. The girl in the story wears the ribbon to keep a horrible secret, one that could ruin both her and her husband's lives. And no horrible secret ruins a life in the late 1700s more effectively than syphilis. Yes, okay. Yep except maybe being a member of the French aristocracy. That didn't go well either. However you choose to interpret it, Jenny and her magic ribbon have taught a more recent generation of fearful daters to mind their own damn business when it comes to fashion. Yes. Don't be asking about my clothes. No. Maybe I wear a choker because my head's going to fall off. Maybe it just has all my diamonds. I don't want to know. Yeah, and you won't. (laughs) (laughs) And that is the, uh, the green ribbon. I love that that has this, like, fashion-y history where women wore red chokers to, like, mimic the head slash of the guillotine. That's so wild. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Need some red chokers. Mm-hmm. Story two, the red spot. I think the one single story that caused the most nightmares and phobias among the Scary Stories readers was the red spot. This one is super short, as most of them are, so we're just going to read the whole thing. While Ruth slept, a spider crawled across her face. It stopped for several minutes on her left cheek, then went on its way. What is this red spot on my cheek? She asked her mother the next morning. Looks like a spider bite, her mother said. It'll go away, just don't scratch it. Soon, the small red spot grew into a small red boil. Look at it now, Ruth said. It's getting bigger. It's sore. That happens sometimes, her mother said. It's coming to a head. In a few days, the boil was even larger. Look at it now, Ruth said. It hurts and it's ugly. We'll have the doctor look at it, her mother said. Maybe it's infected. But the doctor couldn't see Ruth until the next day. That night, Ruth took a hot bath. As she soaked herself, the boil burst. Out poured a swarm of tiny spiders from the eggs their mother had laid in her cheek. That's so gross. I remember that one for sure. Yep. 100% of the people who read this story as children have Googled, can a spider lay eggs in my face? Yeah. And and now kids probably do it themselves, but like everyone has wondered that afterwards. They're like, did that did that really happen? Can that really happen? And I'm gonna save you all the trouble. No, they cannot. Spiders are not parasites and they cannot live in the human body. Do some of them have venom that can eat a hole in your face? Yes. Are there other parasites that will happily lay eggs under your skin? Also, yes. But I'll spare you those. Just do not Google the bot fly. So where did this idea come from? According to Snopes, who I trust to calm all of my very strange and specific fears, quote, a likely antecedent to this legend is a 1824 Jeremiah Gotheff short story titled De Schwarze Spinne. <laughs> Not a Schwarzes. In it, a woman makes a pact with the devil, which is sealed by his kiss on her cheek. When the devil is cheated by villagers, a black boil begins to grow on the spot where he kissed her. It eventually bursts, and venomous spiders crawl out of it. Gross. Totally gross. So fear not. Spiders will never come pouring out of your face. But to be quite honest, for a long time, I just kind of took that information as scientifically sound and ran with it. Yeah, for sure. I slept with as much of my face covered as humanly possible. 
No, I already had my neck covered because in case of vampires. Yes. Gotta sleep Mm -hmm. with your neck covered. So this was the next logical step up. But spiders seem to be invading our irrational fears left and right as of late. Remember, Leslie, when you told us about um, the myth that we eat eight spiders a year or something and how that was totally not true at all? Mm -hmm. I trusted that nonsense, too. I thought that was also true. I know. I can't help but wonder, are there other tall tales we have transformed into facts over the years? What have I believed that may have been a lie? Leslie, can you think of any? Yeah. How about, like, don't touch a baby bird even if it has fallen out of its nest and you want to put it back in because the mother will neglect it. Yeah, because it it smells like a human, so it it just won't touch it ever again. Exactly. That's not true. That I knew. Okay. Um, It's not actually harmful to pick up baby birds and return them to their nests, and it will not cause their mother to reject them. Birds' parents don't recognize their young by smell. They also aren't great smellers, so they probably wouldn't even notice your human touch anyway. Also, like, what would it mean that they smelled like a human? It's still their baby. Well, yeah, but other... You've been touched by people. Right, but, like, other animals, if they... If they get another scent, like sometimes mm-hmm. if they roll in the mud or something mm-hmm. or come out, like their mom doesn't recognize them and they're like, get away from me, a weird thing. Oh, no, you weird yeah. thing. I've like seen that happen with like deer. Oh, it's no. really sad. Oh. And the baby is like trying to get to its mom. Oh, that's like, horrible. I don't know you. Oh, I hate it. Yeah. I did know that that wasn't true with birds, though. They say like, yeah, put it back in its nest or mm-hmm. something. We'll eat it. Yeah. No, I always heard because it was just like, no, 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 no. Like. Me too. You're going to fuck it up. My dad has picked <laughs> up baby robins with, like, giant garden gloves on because yeah. of that. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, what about, like, human blood is blue inside and becomes red due to the oxygen? I remember hearing that, yes. Okay. So our blood is always red. It's the same color inside that it is out. When it's less oxygenated, it's darker red. When it's more oxygenated, it's lighter red. And the bluish tint of our veins is caused by the shorter wavelengths of blue light that's reflected off of our skin and fat back at us. Mm. Yeah. My arms are veiny. We could look at those. Yeah. So, like, <laughs> if you ever get, like, red light uh, to your to your skin, you can yeah. actually see, like, right through. <sighs> and if you get blue light, you would see, um, you would also see, like, the veins and stuff and they'd come up blue. But then the white light is, like, a mixture of the two. So, what ends up happening is, is like when they hit because the blue light is a shorter distance or like a shorter wavelength, that's what's reflected back at you. Oh, interesting. Yes. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. But horseshoe crabs have blue blood. Oh, there you go. They do. Different areas of our tongues are dedicated to different tastes and there are four tastes, sour, salty, sweet, and bitter. Yes. Okay. Our entire tongue tastes all the tastes at the same time. I like that better. And there are actually five tastes, not four. Oh, yeah. Can you guess the fourth? I know it. What is it? It's umami, the yeah. earthy one. Mm-hmm. I know that from food shows. Yes. Perfect. <laughs> well, maybe not everybody else did. Maybe they didn't. Why aren't you watching food yeah. shows? They're great. It's like a savory or like the meaty taste of things. Yeah, it's like a mushroom. It's earthy. Mm-hmm. Chameleons change their color to camouflage into their surroundings. Yes. Right? Yes, that I, yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, they changed their colors to communicate. What? Mm-hmm. Did not know. A chameleon's color is used to signal mood, aggression, territory, and mating behavior. So, like, do they get all red when they're mad? <laughs> they might. <laughs> I would love that. The orange fruit got its name because it is an orange color. <laughs> we had this discussion, didn't we? 
On Postmortem, we did. We were like, I don't know, a few weeks ago, we couldn't figure it out. And we Googled it like three times and could not figure out which one came first. Oh, that's (laughs) hilarious. I totally forgot, but I do remember us talking about orange. And we could not solve this problem. Tell us, please. Okay. Actually, it's the other way around. Until the 15th century, the color orange was just lumped in with red. That's dumb. Yeah. (laughs) So we already had oranges. And then, yeah. And then dumb people were like, that's color. not red. <laughs> but now that makes more sense as to why, like, some oranges are, like, blood red oranges. Yeah. And, yeah, like, it was just, orange was just the name for that fruit. That's so funny that we had a whole conversation. I mean, if you're not that's a patron, you, you definitely didn't hear it. Memory. I have the worst memory. I have a specific memory. Yeah, but that's great <laughs> for this because I was like, what? I can't believe I answered my own question. You I did. One that we could not solve. <laughs> Good for you. Solved it in one Google Ooh, search. There you go. I don't know why I couldn't do that before. Our tandem Google search turned up nothing. I so. know. All right. What about penguins mate for life? Yes. No. Oh, Leslie. No, this one made me really sad. So because I talk about this all the time and it's so cute and they always show like penguins. Like there's a whole movie. I know. It's a sham. Now I'm sad. My heart's broken. My heart's broken too. Tell me about their cheating oh. awful ways. So they may stay monogamous for the mating season, but usually not for life. Mm, So at least they're just like, I got one girl. Like, you my number one this season. Where's my side bitch? Yeah. All right. Because actually, I should have also looked up because I remember also hearing that they do, they like barter for sex on the side too. Yes, I have read that too. So now I'm like, is that true? What are, what's going on with these horny penguins? Yeah. I want to know. I mean, maybe they're polyamorous, consensually. And in which case, live your life. I know. Which is fine. Okay. Lobsters mate for life and walk around claw to claw till death. You're my lobster. (laughs) You're my lobster. Right? That was a big one. Yeah. So Phoebe from Friends really fooled us on this one. Show them the claws. Yeah. (laughs) Show them the claws. (laughs) Lobsters do have a monogamous bond, but it only lasts for two weeks. And male lobsters in particular are rather promiscuous. Bloody animals everywhere. Uh, This one is for some of our Christian friends. The forbidden fruit in the Bible was an apple. No, it was the books on the shelf at the book fair. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't an apple? You're going to blow my mind. What was it? Yeah. Well, there was never, it was never stated. Oh, shit. We just called it an apple. It just said it was a fruit? It was a fruit. And uh, we decided that it was an apple. I bet you it wasn't. I mean, I didn't, but somebody did. So actually, the fruit was never identified, but it's more likely that it was a fig or pomegranate. I was going to say, like a fig. Yeah. Um, Christians may have chosen the apple as a fruit because the Latin word malice means both evil and apple. So it was like a pun. That is so interesting. Mm -hmm. Like the poison apple in Snow White. And that's a good, mm, I love that. Mm -hmm. So Napoleon Bonaparte was very short, right? He was just the shortest of all of them. I know how tall he was. And ish. How tall? Wasn't he up like 5'7"? Yes. Good See? Job. Okay. So though his nickname was Lupite Caporal, Ca- Caporal, Lupite Caporal, I meant... Was he a petite the, corporal? Yes. Okay. So that's the name of it. Yeah. Yeah. The the petite corporal. Yeah. Or the small corporal. Yeah. But Le Petite Caporal, I think. Yeah. Uh, it was towering at 5'7", and Napoleon was actually taller than the average male at the time, mm. and the nickname was probably a term of affection. Aww. You're just like a little leader. <laughs> I love you. I love you. Oh, and they're like, like French a accent. little leader. 
<laughs> that sounds accurate. <laughs> I love that that's the idea of what happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What is little horse? Little, right little, little, wearing his big old hat. <laughs> <laughs> I could do that for an hour. Oh my God. <laughs> All right, last one. Vikings had horns on their helmets, of course. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Watch the opera or Bugs Bunny doing the opera. Yeah. Duh. So in depictions dating from the Viking age between the 8th and 11th centuries, warriors appear either bareheaded or clad in simple helmets, likely made of either iron or leather. And despite years of searching, archaeologists have yet to uncover a Viking-era helmet embellished with horns. That's upsetting. Mm -hmm. It seems that the image of the horned helmet was popularized after costume designer Carl Emil Doppler designed horned helmets for the Viking characters in the 1876 opera Dering des Nibelungen. Killed a wabbit. Yeah. (laughs) Whatever that one is. Exactly. Yeah, that one. Composed by Richard Wagner. Okay. Yep. So you were right on the money. I'm very smart. There you go. So that's those are great the stuff. Those are great facts, you guys. <laughs> did you believe any of those? I certainly did. I mean, I feel like some of them with time I learned the answers yes. to, but for a long time I believed all of those things were mm-hmm. true. Yeah. So yeah. Jeez, Louise. I really could. They still try to push the penguin one. Yes. The penguin one I did believe, for mm-hmm. sure. I, the lobster one, I was like, they're fucking crustaceans. I don't think they're monogamous. But penguins, I thought they were like sweet little gentle souls. You know what does mate for life, though? A swan. Mm. And they're so fucking mean. Do they? I'm going to Google it. Google it. That's the one I read much more recently. Well, maybe not for life now that I'm thinking of it. But like, yeah, swans are more monogamous. Probably because they're so fucking mean. So, pairs usually don't break up, often seeking a new partner if their mate dies. That's for life. Life ended. Yeah. For one of them. Till death do us part, and then I'm on to the next. (laughs) So, be a swan, mate for life, and then bite the shit out of people at the zoo. Yeah. They're so angry. (laughs) Or don't. You don't need to mate for life. That's a whatever you want to do. Live your life. Anyway. (laughs) Let's move on to the next story. Okay. Story number three. Harold. By far the scariest of the stories to tell in the dark, in my humble opinion, was Harold. You know, the charming children's story about a sentient haunted scarecrow who murders farmhands and dries their skins out in the sun? Gross. Okay, maybe that one is like a little bit intense. But we all loved it. And you know I love a challenge. Last week I talked about mold making people kill their family. So I just had to look into the possibility of a murderous scarecrow. First, let's read the story. Again, remember, these are short, so it's easy to be able to do the whole thing. When it got hot in the valley, Thomas and Alfred drove their cows up to a cool green pasture in the mountains to graze. Usually, they stayed there with the cows for two months. Then they brought them down to the valley again. The work was easy enough, but oh, it was boring. All day, the two men tended their cows. At night, they went back to the tiny hut where they lived. They ate supper and worked in the garden and went to sleep. It was always the same. Then Thomas had an idea that changed everything. Let's make a doll the size of a man, he said. It would be fun to make, and we could put it in the garden to scare the birds. It should look like Harold, Alfred said. Harold was the farmer they both hated. They made a doll out of old sacks of stuffed straw. 
They gave it a pointy nose like Harold's and tiny eyes like his. They added dark hair and a twisted frown. Of course, they also gave it Harold's name. Each morning on their way to the pasture, they tied Harold to a pole in the garden to scare away the birds. Each night, they brought him inside so that he wouldn't get ruined if it rained. When they were feeling playful, they would talk to him. One of them might say, How are the vegetables growing today, Harold? And then the other, making believe that he was Harold, would answer in a crazy voice, very slowly. They would both laugh, but not Harold. Whenever something went wrong, they took it out on Harold. They would curse at him, even kick or punch him. Sometimes one of them would take the food they were eating, which they were both sick of, and smear it on the doll's face. How do you like that stew, Harold? He would ask. Well, you better eat it, or else. Then the two men would howl with laughter. One night, after Thomas had wiped Harold's face with food, Harold grunted. Did you hear that? Alfred asked. It was Harold, Thomas said. I was watching him when it happened. I can't believe it. How could he grunt? Alfred asked. He's just a sack of straw. It's not possible. Let's throw him in the fire, Thomas said, and that will be that. Let's not do anything stupid, said Alfred. We don't know what's going on. When we move the cows down, we'll leave him behind. For now, let's just keep an eye on him. So they left Harold sitting in the corner of the hut. They didn't talk to him or take him outside anymore. Now and then, the doll grunted. But that was all. After a few days, they decided there was nothing to be afraid of. Maybe a mouse or some insect had gotten inside Harold and they were making those sounds. So Thomas and Alfred went back to their old ways. Each morning, they put Harold out in the garden. And each night, they brought him back into the hut. When they felt playful, they joked with him. When they felt mean, they treated him as badly as ever. Then, one night, Alfred noticed something that frightened him. Harold is growing, he said. I was thinking the same thing, Thomas said. Maybe it's just our imagination, Alfred replied. We've been up here on this mountain for too long. The next morning, they were eating. Harold stood up and walked out of the hut. He climbed up on the roof and trotted back and forth like a horse on its hind legs. All day and all night, he trotted like that. In the morning, Harold climbed down and stood in the far corner of the pasture. The men had no idea what he would do next. They were afraid. They decided to take the cows down into the valley that same day, and when they left, Harold was nowhere in sight. They felt as if they had escaped a great danger and began joking and singing. But when they had gone only a mile or two, they realized they had forgotten to bring the milking stools. Neither one wanted to go back for them, but the stools would cost a lot to replace. There really is nothing to be afraid of, they told one another. After all, what could a doll do? They drew straws to see which one would go back. It was Thomas. I'll catch up with you, he said, and Alfred walked towards the valley. When Alfred came to a rise in the path, he looked back for Thomas. He did not see him anywhere, but he did see Harold. The doll was on the roof of the hut again. As Alfred watched, Harold kneeled and stretched out a bloody skin to dry in the sun. <laughs> oh my God, that's so gross. I know. Also, what? They were like, oh, he got up and paced on the roof for a whole night. It's just a doll. Don't be scared. What? No, run for your fucking life. 
People put up with so much. They really do for those milking stools. Ugh. Oh, boy. That's the, uh, I think that's the scariest one. But you guys, you can let me know which one you think is the scariest. Now, I looked really, really hard. But there just aren't any true tales of scarecrows murdering humans and skinning them. Surprisingly. Wow. But there is one tale where a field of scarecrows lured over a hundred humans to their death. Mm-hmm. Allow me to explain. We'll allow this one article I found after a lot of digging to explain. This is a direct quote. I will link the article in the show notes. Quote, it was 1914, the first year of World War I, and the French forces were on the move. So was the nearby Baden Regiment of German soldiers. Visibility on the field was low due to a dense fog that had settled in. The French cleverly realized this could be used to their advantage. The men rushed into a nearby field and, gathering sticks and other field debris, made scarecrows that, from a distance in the fog, looked like helpless soldiers. They placed their caps on the stick scarecrows, and the men hid themselves, ready to ambush the enemy. A few of the French were sent ahead and then lured the German troops into the field. At the sight of the scarecrow figures, the Germans charged. As soon as the Germans were well into the traps, shots rang out from all three sides. Over a hundred men of the Baden Regiment were killed, and as the war went on, scarecrows and trench dummies became more and more common as a way to trick the enemy soldiers. I know it's a stretch, but I found you murderous scarecrows, didn't I? You sure did. Yes, I did. So yeah, they dressed um, like stick dummies up as soldiers to trick you know, the enemy forces to have their guard down. They'd be all, like, hunting them down, and then they'd be in the perimeter, and they would just shoot them all. Right. Wow. Yeah. hmm It's like the practical effects solution to stuff. Yeah. Which is very interesting. But, yeah, no actual murdering scarecrows, I guess. Mm. You'd think there'd be one. I looked, and I did not find one. Yeah. There are a few instances of, like, something people thought was a scarecrow and ended up being a dead body. Yeah, but that's not this particular story. Because I've told that story before where the, it's I forget when it happened. I don't have the particulars on it right now, but there were people, it was like right next to Halloween. And there was, people saw like a dummy, which they thought was like a scarecrow stuck on a fence. It was like stuck on a fence, like a chain link hanging half over it. And they were like, wow, someone's like, really going for it this Halloween. Like those right. very dedicated decorations. And it turned out to be a woman who was running away from someone who had stabbed her. And then she got herself caught and impaled on the fence and just like bled out there. So it was like a legitimate body. And people thought it was a decoration for a while. Oh my gosh. I think I told that one when we talked about Elmer McCurdy the first yes. time. The, mm-hmm. Which go listen to that episode if you haven't. That's one of my favorites. But yeah. With the nipple belt. No, that's Ed Gein. Elmer right. McCurdy is the carnival cadaver, the right. one that was in the haunted house, yes. like strong, okay. like a prop. Yeah, so they probably thought he was almost a scarecrow as well. That's right, that's right. Um, great story. Just a wild story. Remember, he was like a terrible train robber yes. that melted everybody into a giant ball. <laughs> yeah. I love that story. Ugh. All right. So I have one more uh, scary story to pick apart for you guys, and that is the babysitter. Ooh. Finally, perhaps the scary story with the most shocking roots is a short one without very dire consequences called The Babysitter. Any horror fan worth their salt knows the old tale of the calls are coming from inside the house. But let's review the version we're dealing with right now. 
This is the one printed in the Scary Stories books. It was nine o'clock in the evening. Everybody was sitting on the couch in front of the TV. There were Richard, Brian, Jenny, and Doreen, the babysitter. The telephone rang. Maybe it's your mother, said Doreen. She picked up the phone, but before she could say a word, a man laughed hysterically and hung up. Who was it? asked Richard. Some nut, said Doreen. What did I miss? At 9.30, the telephone rang again. Doreen answered it. It was the man who had called before. I'll be there soon, he said, and he laughed and hung up. Who was it? The children asked. Some crazy person, she said. About 10 o'clock, the phone rang again. Jenny got it first. Hello, she said. It was the same man. One more hour, he said, and he laughed and hung up. He said one more hour. What did he mean? asked Jenny. Don't worry, said Doreen. It's somebody fooling around. I'm scared, said Jenny. About 10.30, the telephone rang once more. When Doreen picked it up, the man said, pretty soon now, and then he laughed. Why are you doing this? Doreen screamed, and he hung up. Was it that guy again? asked Brian. Yes, said Doreen. I'm going to call the operator and complain. The operator told her to call back if it happened again, and she would try to trace the call. At 11 o'clock, the telephone rang again. Doreen answered it. Very soon now, the man said, and he laughed and hung up. Doreen called the operator. Almost at once, she called back. That person is calling from a telephone upstairs, she said. You'd better leave. I'll get the police. Just then, the door upstairs opened. A man they had never seen before started down the stairs toward them. As they ran from the house, he was smiling in a very strange way. A few minutes later, the police found him there and arrested him. Bleh. Unfortunately, unlike Doreen, the origin of this story does not escape so easily. Wait, that was the end? Yeah. Yeah, there... <laughs> the writing is a little vague. Yeah. <laughs> that's okay. We, we I mean, it is a kid's... That's yeah. how kid's stories are. They, they just kind of end. They're like one-pagers with an illustration. Yeah. They're supposed to be kind of easy to digest. It's more like a, like a really scary thought. I also think that because they are so very much in the tradition of like verbal storytelling, of passing on stories by word of mouth, right. that it, it almost assumes you're going to add to it. Oh, yeah. You like know, he came down the stairs and killed the whole family. He came down the stairs and saw you and said, ah! You know, like there's, yeah, you, you choose your own adventure in a lot of these stories. <laughs> I hate when things go, ah! Me too. It's so scary. <laughs> and I'm very easy to startle. Yes. Me too. God. So, but the original of this one is darker than the rest. There are a ton of babysitter murder stories and movies. Uh, I believe the the trope is called the babysitter and the man upstairs. So that's like how they categorize a shit ton of these stories. Yeah. And my favorite classic scary movie, Halloween, is among them. That's about right. a babysitter being attacked by a murderer. Uh, but most crime scholars agree that they all trace back to the still technically unsolved murder of Jeanette Christman. And then this is a, a story that's recounted, um, kind of cobbled together from a couple articles that I got. I didn't like fully rewrite this one, so I will most I will provide links if you want to read both of the originals, not trying to take credit for anybody else's work. It did retool some things here and there, but I like to be honest. Uh, Jeanette Christman was 13 years old when she was hired to babysit three-year-old Gregory Romack on March 18, 1950. 
That night, her school was holding a dance, but Jeanette, being the responsible girl that she was, decided to babysit rather than attend a school dance. As she had just purchased a new outfit with a payment plan on it, and she wanted to pay it off. So she's being very responsible. It was a burgundy suit, and she wanted to wear it for Easter. I love it. Right? At 7.30 p.m., Jeanette arrived at the Romax home on on a remote rural road outside the small town of Columbia, Missouri. When I say remote and rural, I mean like the road is long, the house is the only one at the end of it. It's a lot. Yeah. Before the Romax left for the night, they assured her that little Gregory was asleep for the night and that he liked to sleep with the radio on and he was a deep sleeper. So she wouldn't wake him up with any noises that she made. And then Ed Romack brought his shotgun out and placed it by the front door. He quickly showed Jeanette how to load and shoot the gun and told her not to answer the door without turning on the porch light first to make sure she recognized whoever was there. No one mentions whether or not this was like normal practice for the time, but she had babysat for the Romax before, and this is the first time he's showing her how to load the shotgun. So I feel like something was up. He probably, well, he may have suspected that Jeanette might run into trouble that night, and that's why he's showing her those things. Mm -hmm. It doesn't feel super normal. Also, her name is spelled J-A-N-E-T-T, which also could be Janet. J-A-N-E-T-T. Yeah, no no E on the end, no double N. I, I think, think it's Jeanette because of the two Ts. That's what I was going to say. I think the two Ts give me a et. That's, that's what I thought. But you guys, if it's Janet and I'm wrong, I'm very sorry. I, well, I guess Janet also has an et. Yeah, but not with double T. Anyway. I know, but I'm just that I said et. Yeah. And it's <laughs> Jeanette, Janet, Jeanette. Weird. I know, right? It's a combination. Janet. There you go. <laughs> Ooh, that was good. Thank you. At 10.35 p.m., the local police department received a call from a girl screaming, Come quick! Before the line cut out and the phone went dead on the other side. Unfortunately, in 1950s, the technology did not exist for them to trace the call, and there was nothing they could do as they could not identify the caller. So they just got this terrifying call wherein the phone cut off, and then that was it. The Romax called home before 11 p.m., but did not get an answer. So they called their babysitter to check in at 11. Nobody answered. And they did not come right home, which to me is like, I would come right home if my babysitter didn't answer the phone. Yeah. This is not like cell phone times where they know it's you and they call you right back. It's like the house phone is ringing and there's nowhere for you to go. Right. Did they just call once or several times? Just once. Could have been like, maybe they're putting the kids to bed. But he's already, it's only one and he's already asleep. Oh. I don't know. When the Romax returned home at 1.30 a.m., so they stayed out for a while, they opened their front door to find a horrific sight. Jeanette Christman, or Christman, I don't know how, I didn't listen to anything this week, I just read, was found sprawled out on the living room floor in a pool of blood with the blood soaking through their shag carpet. So it was like a lot of blood. She had been violently raped and murdered. Her legs were spread out with her right slipper barely hanging off her foot. There was a head wound from a blunt instrument, multiple puncture wounds from a mechanical pencil, and a cord from an electric iron that had been snipped with a pair of scissors was bound tightly around her neck. Wow. Super violent. Jeanette was pronounced dead at the scene. The porch light had been turned on, and the phone had been pulled out from the wall. It was likely disconnected while Jeanette was attempting to call for help, which meant that the police heard part of the actual attack. 
Unfortunately, Gregory Romack, the little boy, was found upstairs still asleep in his bed with the radio on because he slept through anything. Wow. Yeah. Also, the porch light thing scares me because before he left, the dad was like, now, if someone knocks at the door, turn the porch light on to see who it is first. Ew. Yeah, so it means someone knocked at the door. Right. Because he didn't leave it on. He told her to turn it on if she heard something. Do you think that's suspicious? I don't know. It feels like um, a weird thing. No, I'll, we'll get to it later. I think she knew the guy that was at the door. And that's right. why she let him in and didn't get the shotgun or anything. Jeanette's case is officially unsolved. However, Jeanette's family uh, and the Romax believe a local man named Robert Mueller may have been responsible. Robert Mueller was a 27-year-old man who had been friends with Ed Romax since high school. Many people remember him for dressing well and always carrying around a mechanical pencil in the front shirt or in his front shirt pocket or jacket pocket. Now, I will remind you, I don't think I got this in the beginning. Jeanette is 13. Oh. She's a little girl. She's not a 17-year-old babysitter. She's a 13-year-old babysitter. So the fact that she was assaulted sexually is... I mean, it's always bad, but she looks like a kid. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. According to Ed Romack, Robert Mueller had a, quote, lustful eye for virgin women and spoke about having a desire to defile someone young. Was that fine in 1950? I don't, I feel like I'd be like, somebody fucking lock that guy up. Moreover, Robert Mueller knew Jeanette since she also babysat for his kids on numerous occasions. So if he knocked on that door, she would have just answered it. Oh, wait. So how old is he? 27. Yeah, this is 1950. At 27, you could have had like five kids. Right. Also, Ed Romack recalls Robert Mueller making inappropriate comments about Jeanette's well-developed hips and breasts. Nope. Additionally, Robert Mueller's lewd behavior spilled over to Ed's wife, Anne who felt uncomfortable around him because of his uninvited sexual advancements. In fact, just one day before Jeanette's murder, Robert Mueller had been visiting the Romac home and reportedly tried to grope Anne's breasts. Mm. He had been a tailor at one point in his life, and she was hemming a dress. And so he was helping her hem this dress, and then he just tried, tried some shit. And it doesn't stop there. The morning of Jeanette's death, Robert Mueller contacted Jeanette to ask if she would babysit for his children that night, but she declined and told him she couldn't because she was already babysitting for the Romax, so he knew where she was. Okay, so why is this unsolved? We'll get there. Furthermore, Robert Mueller attended the same gathering as the Romax had that evening. But hours into the party, he excused himself, claiming he had to meet a doctor who was meant to tend to his son. Robert then disappeared for two hours before coming back to the party. The police questioned Robert Mueller's doctor and discovered he never went to the Mueller residence that evening. Okay. But Robert Mueller went even further. Ed Romack got a phone call from uh, Robert Mueller at his father's home on the morning after the murder. Supposedly, he asked Ed if he needed any help with cleaning up the blood throughout the house. However, Robert Mueller shouldn't have known anything about this crime as it had not yet been published in any newspapers. Mm. While it seems that the evidence against Robert Mueller was staggering, he passed a polygraph test. And at that time, that was enough for police to clear him. Oh my God. Yep. 
Robert Mueller was never charged. He relocated with his family to Tucson, Arizona, where he passed away in 2006 at 83 years old. Ew. Mm-hmm. Still married to his wife? I guess. He was probably fucking terrified of him. Probably. I would be. So while the calls weren't coming from inside the house directly, they kind of were. Oh, my God. How horrible. Yeah, that is the original babysitter story. So that guy is basically Michael Myers. Yes. Ugh. I know. Awful. I hate that. I don't much love it either. But those are uh, those are the scary stories we picked for this week. We also had our uh, live event on Thursday, so we were very busy this week. Yeah. But I really like this one. If you guys also like it, there's so many other. There's a three-book anthology. Maybe we'll do a sequel to this in the future. I found it really fun. Yeah, for sure. I always like kind of picking apart what might have inspired stories like that. And I like when you get to write a story at the beginning. They're so creepy. Thank you. I try to do that most weeks. Yeah. But then, like, sometimes my brain is just so tired. I know. But this one, <laughs> I guess what I mean is, like, this one, It this is one of those ones that is very, um, you could have done anything. Yeah. You know, you were, like, limitless. Yeah, it was nice. I always think that's fun. Thank you. To see what you come up with. Thanks. Yeah, I had a lot of fun just being like, okay, write your scary story. Yeah. So that was a really good time. Yeah, that's what I have for this week. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed it, Leslie. I did. I love nothing more than these scary stories Go to well. tell in the dark. It was really fun for me to read them again out loud because I definitely have read them like a hundred times at sleepovers. I remember reading them as a kid. I remember like doing the voices and how I did it and stuff. I think I'm better at it now, but still. You know what scary story I always think about? Which? The one where the owner's dog is hanging in oh, the bathroom. Ew! And it, like, like licks him from under the bed. Oh. No. Oh, maybe. Yeah, because he puts his hand down. To, like, he hears a sound and puts his hand down. The dog licks him. And then when he goes into the bathroom, the dog is dead. Yes. So and, the and fucking it, killer well, licked him. <laughs> That's the, like, yes. it implies that something yeah, else yeah. licked him. Because, and he woke up first hearing, like, the faucet drop. Like, the something, water yeah. mm-hmm. from the faucet dripping. And then, yes, and then the dog licked him. Ooh. Mm-hmm. And then he went to the bathroom to turn the faucet off, but the faucet wasn't dropping any water. And then he opened up the shower the shower curtain, and his dog was hanging there dripping blood. Ah! I think about that all the What gets time. me the worst is that what licked him? <laughs> Ew. Trying to think if there's any others that like are very oh. widely told. Oh, my cat did just you rubbed ever... up against my legs and oh, I, forgot I forgot she was in here. Yeah, I did too. <laughs> did you ever watch um, Gerald's Game? I accidentally, not accidentally, on purpose, read a lot of Gerald's Game because yeah. I found it in my mother's right, collection. I've talked about this before. When I was way, way too young to have read any of it. Yeah. So well, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. There was... Either a dog or something else that licked the foot. Is I'm pretty sure it was a dog. No, it was either you couldn't tell which oh, one it was because oh. the door was left open. Oh, and yeah. So they oh don't yeah. Know if it was the man standing in the corner yeah. or and if that man was ever actually standing in the corner. <gasps> uh, 
and the dog didn't seem to be. I think the dog was dead at that point. Yeah, I was going to say, know. I think the dog was dead. I think they killed the dog. That's they were like, I don't know. I don't know. I just very re- vividly remember as a child reading a scene where the woman talks about peeling her wrists like an orange. Yeah. That phrase is in there. It is burned indelibly into my brain. Oh, I'm so uncomfortable. Yeah, I know. Because <laughs> she had handcuffs on and yeah. she just like shredded her own yeah. hands to take them off. Blah. Guys, Ugh, tell us premise. Tell us what traumatized you as a child. I want to I want to hear about those stories. Yeah. Sounds great. And if you haven't read or watched Gerald's game, just look up the premise. It's <laughs> wild. It's like one line of the most horrific. Thing. Yeah, you're going to hate it really hard. It's so bad. <laughs> it's a movie, too. Yeah. I know um, I've never seen the movie. No thank you. Keeps me up at night still. I wouldn't watch it because I read it when I was like probably eight or nine. Wait, that's not, like you're not supposed to be reading that. Cemetery. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. Although I might regret saying this, but I think I'm coming to a point where I I think I could watch it now. Maybe we should watch it. I don't know. No, I take it back. There's There was a <laughs> meme. This experience is so common that there was a meme a few years ago that went around that was like, what was the Stephen King book you picked up as a child that traumatized yeah. you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, wait, we all have one? Okay. Yeah. I know. Yeah, we put that in our group. I think, I think we did. Maybe we'll, maybe that'll make the rounds again because that is such an interesting yeah. conversation and we have a lot of new people now. So. Yeah, go look for that in our Facebook group. Yeah, I'll see if I can find it and repost it because that was really fun. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. All right. Toast? Toast. Uh, first of all, to Alvin Schwartz for giving us the gift of the scary stories to tell in the dark. Yes. I sure hope you're scaring people all over Princeton. That sounds great. Toast. Cheers. <laughs> Poor Jeanette Christman. Mm-hmm. You didn't deserve any of that. So cheers to Jeanette. Do we have anyone else that we want to toast? All the scarecrows in the world. Every single one. (laughs) Because they could be trotting back and forth on roofs like horses on their hind legs. Or wearing sneakers as they Well, we like Candace. To To Candace. (laughs) To Candace. Not the rest of them. Just Candace. (laughs) That image of him like awkwardly trotting back and forth like a puppet on the roof is what probably haunted me when I was a child. Yeah. Yeah. Just like... Trotting back and forth. <laughs> I hate it. Is that Santa or is that? It is not Santa <laughs> at all. Oh, no. Oh, Lord. Well, I also want to toast Anna Marie. She was always a patron, Aww. but she upgraded her <gasps> status this week. Thank you, Anna Marie. We love you. Yes, she is a best fiend forever now. She sure is. Welcome to the club. Come visit us. <laughs> I shouldn't say that for everyone, but I feel like she's trustworthy. Yeah. Yeah. Right? I'm feeling it. <laughs> I feel it too in my soul. All right. And if we killed the babysitter with murder scarecrows and parasitic spiders, then covered the whole thing up with a green ribbon, we would be dead. Thank you for listening to the We Would Be Dead podcast. Hit subscribe now to never miss an episode. Rate and review our show on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Would Be Dead Pod. And join our Facebook group to discuss the podcast and more.
this little horse. <laughs> little, 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 little